0: Welcome to Remnant Radio, glad to have you listening. We're here to share Jewish testimonies about trusting in Yeshua, also known as Jesus. Our focus is to the Jew first and also the Gentile, because God has not rejected His people and has made the two one new man. Now, here are your hosts for Remnant Radio, Joseph Trochio and Howard Somerville. Hello, this is Joe Trochio with Remnant Radio. This is uh, the first official broadcast of Remnant Radio with a special guest, a man that I met here a few months ago in Brooklyn, New York, while on my first mission trip with Chosen People Ministries. John Lieberman is his name. He's a um, longtime believer in Yeshua. He's a good man, and I'm grateful to have met him he will be speaking tonight about uh, uh, his story and how it relates to the great story of Yeshua Messiah. This is a privilege to have him here. And in just, um, uh, just a minute or so, I'll give you a brief introduction about uh, some details about John, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into the podcast. And again, remember, this, the purpose of this podcast, this re- Remnant Radio effort, is to share the gospel first for the jew and then for the gentile this is a gospel oriented effort and our hope is is that over time people come to faith first for the jew and then for the gentile and we hope that uh, tonight's first broadcast or podcast is meaningful for you the listeners um john like i said john is a, a believer in jesus Uh, We also, we would use the term, he is a a Messianic Jew, which John will talk about here in a little bit. He's got a business uh, background. He lives in Indiana. Uh, For the past six years, John has been working with Chosen People Ministries, which is an organization that's committed really to loving, serving, praying for, sharing the gospel with, and discipling Jewish people and teachers, be, uh, teaching believers to do the same. Chosen People Ministries has been around for well over 100 years, 120 years, and it is the largest Jewish ministry sharing the gospel with Jewish people around the world. They have offices in uh, New York, Chicago, LA, and Florida. Uh, also, uh, of course, in Israel, France, Germany, Russia, the Ukraine, and South America. Uh, John, um, why don't you just uh, take a few minutes and just tell us uh, briefly about yourself, and we can get into some further details later. Where, where'd you grow up, well, John?
1: Well, thanks, uh, Joe. It's a wonderful a pleasure to be sharing with you on your first broadcast. And, yeah, you mentioned I am a Messianic Jew, and I've been a Messianic Jew, I can't believe, for 45 years. I grew up in Indianapolis. And uh, my father was from a very Orthodox Jewish background, but as I say, he backslid, he left Connecticut, came to Indianapolis, and met my mom, who was Reformed Jewish, which is the liberal, more secular, uh, non-observant wing uh, of Judaism. Very intellectual, very cultural, but uh, as far as practicing the Judaism at home, I never saw my parents really uh, pray or read the Bible. Uh, but we knew we were very culturally Jewish, all our friends were Jewish, at least my parents' friends were. And I was sort of a rebel growing up, was growing up in the late 60s, sort of uh, uh, the hippie era. So I began to date non-Jewish girls to so my father's chagrin. But uh, that was sort of my environment there. Uh, you know, in Indianapolis, a lot of Jewish uh, people, the doctors, lawyers, pretty affluent, we won the country club. Uh, so I knew I was Jewish. I knew I was different from my Gentile friends, even though I had had a lot of Gentile friends. But um, I was always sensitive that somehow these Gentiles really didn't like Jewish people. And so you're always a little bit uh, cautious of what they might say uh, about you being Jewish. So that's, that's a basic background. And, and my mom being Reformed Jewish, uh, Jewish mothers, you know, they have their say. And so that's how we were raised. And my dad left his orthodoxy, except when he would go home. And he'd be around the orthodox family and come back and want us to be kosher. My mom said, just, you know, he'll calm down in two weeks and we'll be back to eating bacon again. So that's uh, a little bit about the background.
0: John, let, let me ask you, I, I don't want to forget this. It seems to be very important. And uh, it, this struck me very significantly when I was reading uh, one of Dr. Fruchtenbaum's books uh, in a section where he he describes or defines what it means to be Jewish. And I think this really kind of tangles up a lot of people. And I might, I I might even be speaking out of turn here, but uh, Jewish really from a biblical standpoint, is really an ethnic issue, not necessarily, obviously, religious. Is it safe to
1: say that? Well, in fact, I just taught some high school youth uh, at a meeting in the home as they're preparing to go off to college and deal with various apologetic issues that could challenge their faith. And so I, I posed a question to them. I said, is being Jewish or Judaism or being a Jew, does it have more to do with ethnicity which some say race, but it's really ethnicity, because we're a people, going back to Abraham, or the Abrahamic people. Or is it a religion, because God did give a set of laws, uh, which we know about the Ten Commandments, and many others, about 613 do's and don'ts in the Torah and the Old Testament, about how you should worship and practice your faith. Or is it a nationality, because you have Jews in Israel, and it's a Jewish state. And basically, I said, it could be all three, but primarily, when we speak of being a Jew, it is tied to ethnicity. We go back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the people of Israel. So we are an historic people that God had called, given laws to, and given promise, and a promised land to us. But we have Jews living all over the world. So I think primarily, uh, that's what it means. See, some people say, well, John, you're... You believe in Jesus and uh, Jews don't believe in Jesus so you're no longer Jewish and uh, especially since we're doing right around Christmas time I say that Christmas actually is a Jewish holiday or at least it should be it's the birth of a Jewish man who ended up becoming a very famous Jewish rabbi the story about him was told by Israel's Jewish prophets centuries before he arrived like Isaiah, Mike, and others, he is born in a Jewish city, Bethlehem, how some know it as Bethlehem, that means the house of bread, mm. in the nation of Israel, and the story of this Jewish rabbi's life was told by one of his Jewish Talmudim, which means disciples, and the first believers to embrace him as a Jewish Messiah were all Jewish men and women. <clears throat> so this whole story sounds very Jewish to me. What could be more Jewish than accepting the Jewish Messiah?
0: Right. That's awesome. I wanted to ask you something about
1: this what it means to be a Jew or yeah. how you define Jewishness or
0: Right, right. It seems to be so it's it's crucial to really get a grasp on that. And that would be for our Gentile listeners to understand. And hopefully we get an amen from, from Jewish listeners that also uh, maybe even struggling with uh, a Jewish identity. So uh, from a biblical standpoint, um, Jewishness is really, it's a, it's an ethnic and not a, not a religious thing. Although obviously, like you said, it could pull that in, but from a biblical standpoint, it's, it's an, it's an ethnic issue. so, um, that that really simplifies and clarifies a lot of things, and I'm glad um, I'm glad that I understand it, <laughs> which I, well, I did.
1: We believe a lot of things. There's not uh, one set of beliefs that determines who ultimately is defined as a Jew. We have Jewish Buddhists of all things, um, and Buddhism does not believe in a personal relationship with God. There's not a personal infinite God like uh judaism teaches that there's one god and he's personal he's infinite uh you can be jewish and non-religious there are jews who believe in reincarnation which is definitely not a biblical jewish idea it's appointed for man once to die and then the judgment and that's the same in judaism and christianity so it's many different beliefs but you can't define something by the negative When somebody says, well, Uh if you're Jewish and you believe in Jesus, you're not Jewish, you can't define it that way. You first have to tell me what it does mean to be Jewish. And I love my culture, my heritage, my background. In fact, when I became a believer in Jesus, uh, a term that was first used was called completed Jews. Mm. Of course, my Orthodox dad did not like that term because it implied he was incomplete. But I'm, (laughs) I'm just saying you do get completed. If you if you discover a relationship with God, find forgiveness of sins, and accept your Jewish Messiah, what could be more Jewish than
0: that? I hear you, and I think that's a rhetorical question. But I'm going to answer it and say there isn't anything much Jew, much more Jewish than that. So, um, all right, good, good. I'm glad we got we got that clarified. Um, when you were growing up, John, did you hear the name Jesus, and what were your what impressions did you have? Uh, about this, this Jesus. This, um, this is something that I've kind of discovered that many Jewish people today, uh, when they hear about Jesus or a Christian, often what they think about is uh, the manger or Mary or um, uh, priests and holy water and so forth. What, is, that, is that kind of the way you saw things
1: then? Yeah, if I was to picture Jesus, which I never did as a kid, but if I was, uh, I would have seen him as a Catholic priest with a collar around his neck. I wouldn't have seen him with a tali or a and Yamaka. yarmulke. That would have been the furthest thing from my mind. He, Christianity, uh, was basically Catholic in my understanding. Mm-hmm. My dad, when he was younger, would tell me that he used to get in fights with the Catholic kids, and they would call him Christ killer. And he's probably thinking, I don't know him. I didn't kill anybody. <laughs> You know, he, 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 it was for the Catholics, not for we Jewish people. And I did see a manger scene, because at Christmas, there's always somebody, you know, like Chevy Chase, the movie, that's got the whole house lit up with lights and Rudolph, and the manger scene and everything. So I knew that Jesus was a baby, mm. but I never knew what happened to him growing up. <laughs> I never heard any stories, no one ever talked about Jesus, the rabbi obviously never mentioned him and one time i remember hearing the words new testament and i thought they meant a newer version of the old testament like a new translation like an niv I, I had no idea there was four gospels half of it was written by a rabbi named paul i had no idea i had never seen a gospel i didn't even know what easter was about i knew it was bunny rabbits and eggs <laughs> but i had no idea that christian actually believed that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, that's either true or false. Well, I didn't even know that that was a teaching. I didn't even understand that Jesus died for the sins of the world. So I actually knew nothing about him. Here I'm living in so-called Christian country, United States, and yet I was totally ignorant of the gospel and uh, sin and how you'd be reconciled to God until one day... Um, I went off to college. I went to Indiana University. And my dad was very unhappy that I had a Catholic girlfriend. And I used to give her a hard time. I said, "You're how can you believe in Jesus? You've been brainwashed to believe in virgin birth. That can't happen. And she broke up with me, which broke my heart. First of all I'd ever really fall in love with. And one night, this is during the late 60s, you know, we're experimenting with little types of things. A Jewish, I was in a Jewish fraternity, ZBT, 100% Jewish. And one of my Jewish friends... I had to clear blue one night, said, John, if you die tonight, where would you go? And he wasn't trying to witness to me. He was just trying to freak me out, and I did not have an answer. And that thought sort of lodged into my mind. I said, well, where do you go when you die? It's sort of a, a fearful thing. I was just trying to live, and now I'm, I have the question, where am I going when I die? And so I began about a two-year search, trying Eastern religions, meditation, science of mind, Went out to California to study at Stanford, took courses in mysticism, studied about the early mystics of Christianity and other religions. But I just couldn't put my hands on who God was. One night I was just reaching out in prayer, sort of just thinking. So thinking in my mind, not an actual prayer you'd pray, but thinking in my mind, like, God, where are you? A couple of days later, I'm walking down San Francisco, downtown. Uh, and a lady's on a street corner, and she's preaching to kids about Jesus. I thought I met a real religious fan in Abby. I'd never heard of anybody talking about the religion other than, you know, they would do it in the synagogue or church, I assume, but but not on the street. And this woman had so much love. I was so touched by her that when I went back from my senior year at Indiana University, I began to search, which led me into an old cult bookstore and a lot of different things, which I don't have the time to go into, but I knew that there was something out there. There was some experience that you had, and when you had that, you knew what the answer to life was, the meaning of life, the purpose. How did we get here? What What's our existence mean? Where are we going when we die? There had to be some system out there of thought that gave some answers.
0: John, that's incredible. Uh, it's incredible how someone, and, and and I'm with you. I've been through the whole, the whole thing. That the hunger that that we all have, it it's there. Sometimes we're so hungry we don't even we don't even know we're hungry, and uh, at the right moment, at the right time, uh, Christ breaks through. And um, let me clarify that uh, for the sake of the uh, Jewish listeners, Messiah breaks through. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's something that I've learned here over the past year. That um, there's there's some terminology that. Uh, that can really rub, rub rub people the wrong way, and uh, definitely don't want to do that. So, uh, this is about the Messiah. Um, okay, so so you, you 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 go through this hunger stage. You, you meet a lady on the street, and uh, um, I, when I say a lady on the street, I mean a good Christian woman. Yeah, good,
1: good. <laughs> not, not not a lady at night or anything. Right, <laughs> right. Even though it was at night. All right, and she was probably about seventy years old, and I was twenty-three at the time. So,
0: oh, that's a that's a good one. Okay, so, all right, so you've got these things happening and people coming into your life. Um, tell tell us more about some of these other people that were coming into your life and uh, having an impact on you.
1: Well, uh, like most kids in the winter, uh, um, you know, kids you know, start, start thinking, at least in Indiana, about your spring break. And we'd often go down to Florida, and one of my spring break trips with my Jewish staff fraternity brothers, uh, we went to Miami Beach. And it was there on the beach that I saw somebody preaching about Jesus. And the Jewish kids, they were sort of making fun of him, throwing sand at him, and probably other people too, like, who's this crazy guy out there? And while we were watching, somebody came over, to talk to me, and he had a little booklet. And I don't know if it was the Four Spiritual Laws or what it was back then, where they had a little booklet, so they witnessed, you know, these college kids go on spring break, and they go witnessing to people, you know, that are also on on vacation. And uh, I wanted to talk to them, but I was so afraid of what my Jewish friends thought. Like, what are you talking to this Christian kid for? About what? And, uh, and then one day, uh, after I graduated from Indiana University, I thought I might go into grad school in psychology. You know, everybody who goes to psychology, they go into it. to try and figure out their own problems. And then they make a career out of supposedly helping other people who are messed up. <laughs> so I checked out graduate schools. And while I was there, I was living in Greenwich Village for a few days. And some Jesus people used to come over to this apartment to try and witness to the people that lived in this uh, apartment where I was staying Anyway, the they invited me to a coffee house. And it was there that I heard a lot of young people share their story about faith, how they were on drugs, they got off drugs, they had a supernatural encounter with God. And at the end of this meeting at this coffee house, everybody gathered together, they closed their eyes and prayed, except me. My eyes are open because <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. But they really believe they're talking to an unseen presence in that room. And I was very touched by their sincerity one of the kids started talking to me and i said oh i'm jewish and then he said i'm jewish too i was shocked a jewish person believing in jesus i'd never heard of that before so um uh, and also during this time i came back home to indianapolis and uh, one day uh back in Indiana, yeah, i had an ear infection and the doctor said i was supposed to have an operation so i panicked never been inside a church before so i called one up because i didn't think they prayed for the sick in the synagogue And i have been studying Christ consciousness and healing and all these mystical things. And I thought, well, maybe I'll call them, and maybe they can pray for me. So I didn't tell them I was Jewish. It happened to be Wednesday night. They just happened to be having a prayer meeting in the pastor's home. And I went there, and one of these students laid hands on me, but they go on my shoulders, and prayed for me. And within a couple days, I was healed. Of course, no cell phones, no email back then, and lost contact with them. And it seems like the closer you're seeking, anybody listening here, if you're seeking or searching, there's going to be a spiritual battle for your soul. Things will happen out of the clear blue. You'll be talking to somebody, and you'll get distracted by somebody else that will come in your life or some other situation. So I encourage people, when you're seeking the Lord, don't stop until you have found the Lord or the Lord really has found you. It's a Lord who seeks you out rather than you find the Lord. Um, But anyway, keep talking to your friend about the Messiah. Well, anyway, I decided I'm going to go out and find the answer. It was uh, June of 1971, and I left Indianapolis, and I told my Jewish friend Kenny, I said, Kenny, I know that there's something answer to life that we can find, and it has to do with God. And he looked at me like I was crazy. I was Meshuggah. That's a word for out of your mind. What are you talking about, God? Tell me that word. Know, again.
0: John, tell me that word again. I, got, I have to know that.
1: It's mashuga. It's somebody, mashugana or mashuga. it's like somebody who's crazy. Like, what are you talking about? You're out of your mind. That's craziness. All
0: right, I'm using know.
1: it. I'm going to find God or find this experience this summer. Well, I head off to a yoga camp in the mountains of Tucson, and after two weeks of eating bland food, crossing my legs like a pretzel, and trying to do all these uh exercise, I said, I've had enough of this. Maybe there's no answer. And while I'm camping out, I met a minister in northern Arizona, and uh, he was camping out too. And he said to me, I don't know why he said this, he said, have you been born again? Well, I thought he meant reincarnation. you got to come back as a toad or some age of or something. I, did, I, I, I was really fearful of that. That's crazy. Go through this life, all the struggles and problems, and then you got to come back again and do it all over again. Let, let said, me, let, no, you, John.
0: Can, can I interrupt you there? Was that the first yeah. time you heard the expression "born again"?
1: Yeah, never heard "born again" before. I didn't know it. I thought, really, I thought he meant reincarnation because that's what I've been studying. Right. And then he said, uh, "You need to be saved." I said, "I'm thinking, saved from what?" <laughs> Jewish people, even though it's a biblical word, and salvation, and saved, and redemption, is found throughout our Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. God saved His people with a mighty hand out of Egypt, and delivered them. And in answer to prayer, God delivered his people many times from the surrounding enemies. And the word save is used. And But I didn't understand it, uh, in terms of a personal salvation with God. But that's where Jesus' name comes from. Jesus' name, actually, in Hebrew, is Yeshua. And Yeshua means God is salvation. Or God brings salvation. And that's why uh, the angel could say his name, speaking about Jesus, should be called Jesus or Yeshua because he will save his people, the Jewish people, from their sins. So his full name is Yeshua HaMashiach, which in English is Jesus the Messiah. It's not like Jesus Goldberg. You know, Jesus <laughs> having the last name Goldberg. People think Jesus is the first name and Christ is the last name. Christ is just a title. It's actually English from Christos, which comes from the Hebrew Mashiach. So it's Yeshua the Messiah or Jesus the Messiah. I say so that's definitely more Jewish than Jesus Christ.
0: Right. There, in that case, he's more Greek than 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 Jewish. When you hear it that yeah. way. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. And so to finish the story, uh, the minister gave me a New Testament. And that was the first one. It was called Good News for Modern Man. It was a modern translation of the New Testament. I went back to my campsite and I read a little bit in the Gospel of John about the Father and the Son being one. The Father sends the Son. Didn't fully understand it. Closed the book and they must have been praying up a storm for me. And this is the power of prayer for your Jewish friend or Gentile friend or whoever it is or whatever your situation is. The power in you know, effectual, fervent prayer. They said they're going to pray for me. Well, the thought came in my mind to call out to Jesus. I don't know where it came from. He said, God put it there. And I, you know, no, I was all alone, and I lifted up my voice out loud, looked up the heaven, wherever it might be, and said, Jesus, if you're there, come into my life. And all of a sudden, Joe, it was like a veil was taken off my eyes. I knew I encountered the living God. I knew that Jesus was alive. I knew that he knew me, and he'd been with me my whole life. It's sort of like if you you look at a a Rembrandt Rembrandt painting and there's a veil over it. And somebody starts describing it. Oh, it's a beautiful painting, the the technique and the colors you use. And and, yeah, I can't see it. And then the uh, person at the museum takes the veil off and you see it. That's what it's like. I encountered Jesus and I felt the burden lift off my shoulder. I felt clean inside. It was like a power invaded me and I felt just this love in my life, and I had been sort of estranged from my dad because he was so busy in real estate development, pretty successful, just never had time to develop that man-father-son relationship, and I had a lot of resentment, and uh, at that moment, it seemed like everything disappeared. I felt this divine love come in my heart,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then part of my repentance was, I said, Jesus, I'm so sorry. If I'd only known that you existed and were with me, walking with me as a child, and I just didn't know you existed. I had a veil before my eyes. I didn't know that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you are one. And uh, so that was my born-again experience. Later, learned a lot more about Yeshua. I went to Denver, Colorado, and went to a conference, and later met this wonderful man who was a Holocaust survivor, Eliezer Urbach. And he helped me understand more of my Jewish identity, the Jewish Messiah, prophecies, and scripture. And I saw, I didn't realize, I had such a hunger to understand the fullness and the completion of my Jewish identity in the Messiah. And he showed me all these prophecies that predicted that when the Messiah come, he would be born here, he would die, he'd be resurrected, all from our Jewish scriptures.
0: John, that's, that's just awesome. So, So this man that you had met uh, early in your faith, was a, a Messianic Jewish man, a survivor from the Holocaust.
1: Yeah. Yes, from well, Poland. If you've ever seen the movie The Pianist, it's almost like his story. He escaped out of Poland uh, and ended up in you know in Siberia in a camp there and eventually escaped from there and ended up in South America and uh, where he got saved, then went to Israel where he met his wife Sarah, and then came back to Denver and began a ministry there.
0: You know, it's interesting. And, you and, go ahead. Yeah. Go go, ahead.
1: No, go, on. go on.
0: Well, it's interesting. You you mentioned this uh, a Holocaust survivor that uh, that believed in uh, Yeshua. Just the other day, I, I discovered um, another Holocaust survivor, and you're going to have to help me out. His first name is, I think it's pronounced. Is it Rachmel or
1: Rachmio? Rachmel Rock-male Friedland. Yes. Yes. I I just yes.
0: started to read about him. And uh, it's just amazing. He had come to faith shortly before um, uh, being captured. And uh, and uh, I haven't read all the details, but I, I started to read some of his material. And it's just wonderful.
1: Uh, uh just a rabbinic scholar. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people say, well, you weren't raised that Jewish or observant. You weren't Orthodox. That's why you believe in Jesus. He was a scholar of uh, rabbinic Judaism and uh, knew the Talmud, knew the Hebrew text of Scripture, and he's written some amazing things, uh, proving beyond a doubt, that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Just from our Hebrew Scriptures, you can show the prophecies that predicted what the Messiah would be like, what he would, what he would do, what he would accomplish. And there's only one person in history, Jewish history, that could fulfill all these hundreds of prophecies.
0: And that's Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Messiah. It's just, it just, it's an incredible, it's amazing, just amazing. John, I've said this to you before. I'm going to say it again. God bless you, John. Um, uh, Okay, so you 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 have the the boarding in experience, and you receive uh, Yeshua, and uh, now you've got to you've got to come home, right? You got to you got to talk to your family and your your friends and community. And this is one of the things that uh, I just really—it it, just—it—it—I hurt for the seeking uh, Jewish person because um, the 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 pressure to reject them is incredible, and uh, uh, it's just it's just it's just really a sad thing. And tell t- t- tell us how you you wrestled through all that, how you how you were able to um, still accept your. Your Jewishness, you accept uh, Jesus, and you still loved your your friends and family and community. Uh, but there was a, there was a, a real tension going on. Tell us tell us how you got through all that.
1: Well, um, after I became a believer, gave really gave my life to Lord in Denver, and that's another uh, whole story. But uh, I uh, was invited to live with this Christian family, so I realized I'd been traveling for three weeks. And, you know, again, no email, no cell phones. I didn't call. had no contact with my parents for about three weeks. And I said, I better call them and tell them what happened. So I called them on the phone one night, and I said, hi, Mom and Dad. Uh, I'm in Denver. I uh, left that uh, yoga camp, and uh, now I'm in Denver with this family. And they're probably thinking, family? We have no family in Denver. And they said, well, what family? I said, Well, it was just a wonderful family that I met at this conference. And uh, they took me in and uh just enjoying being here and by the way dad i had an experience with jesus and i've accepted him as my messiah and he loves you <laughs> i did not know what to say nervously you know i did not know what to tell them. how do you break the news it's important to break the news i tell jewish believers new jewish believers, as soon as possible you'll find out your parents aren't going to kill you they're probably not going to totally reject you they may think you joined a cult or something but tell them uh, because it it just helps you get over that big hurdle, and then let them deal with it. And uh, there's a pause there in the line, and all of a sudden, my dad said, "Well, Rabbi Salzman loves you. He was the rabbi at the time, <laughs> so he, he he didn't get it. He was just trying to respond. And they didn't. They knew I wasn't religious. That I, you know, was not into practicing anything. And then all of a sudden, to be involved in Jesus." They're probably thinking, how come we have to be the only parents in the world that have a son that believes in Jesus? Not knowing that that period of time, in the late 60s and the early 70s, thousands of Jewish people were coming into the Jesus movement, were finding Jesus as the Messiah from all walks of life. Uh, Just an amazing revival, and all these Jewish people were going to begin to meet one another. And Chosen People Ministries was at the forefront of helping Jewish people come to know the Messiah. But uh, we didn't know each other. Each Jewish person individually thought they were the only Jew in the world that believed in Jesus. I didn't know about Peter, Paul, and Mary and the boys and everybody. (laughs) Not the thinking group, but (laughs) the, the, the disciples, they were all Jewish, you know. And Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, was a rabbi. How come I was kept in the dark all these years? My rabbi never mentioned anything about Jesus. He didn't even say... You need to study the New Testament to know what Christians believe. It was as if a Jew would never believe in Jesus. And now, I don't know how many thousands of Jewish people believe. There's probably 15,000 or so, 12 to 15,000 in Israel alone, of Israeli Jews that believe in Jesus. And uh, thousands throughout the United States and France all over. So nobody can say anymore Jews don't believe in Jesus.
0: Yeah, good good point. Let me ask you, you— Without getting into too much detail, um, you, you had said, uh, you know, why why haven't I heard this uh, uh, about Jesus from my rabbi? Why, why? now? Without you know um, making any blanket statements or you know being disrespectful or anything, but can you just kind of touch on that a little bit? Um, wh- what's you know what what's happening there or what's not happening? Um, and, and I say that with a great deal of love and respect and uh, care for, uh, for the Jewish people. I just—it I, I just, w- would be nice if you can just kind of—just go in that direction just for a little bit.
1: Okay. Well, I think you can make the comparison to uh, many Catholics who go to church, but the priests are the ones who uh, read the, the Bible— and they, they know Catholic traditions and all the things they've added to the Bible, and they're the experts. And so the lay person just listens to the priest, and whatever the priest says, they accept as the truth of God's Word, not knowing that there are many traditions that were added to uh, the Catholic Church beyond the Bible that have nothing to do with the Scriptures. They're just man-made traditions. Well, in Judaism, the average Jewish person... Uh, is not into religion as profession, and so they depend upon the rabbis, the scholars, to tell them what to believe. Very few Jewish people actually read the Torah, study it, know the prophets and the prophecies. So when the rabbi says about a certain scripture, well, the rabbis say that this means this, the average Jewish person doesn't question it. They're saying, hey, he's a scholar, he went to seminary, he's been studying Hebrew and, and all these uh, texts for years, so who am I to challenge a rabbi? And it's, it's a fallacy. It's, um, it's a dangerous way to live, to trust in somebody else who's going to tell you the truth. We need to read the Scriptures ourselves. And so when it comes to a passage like Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Jesus, and clearly points to someone in history who it says, took up our pain, bore our suffering. It says, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we were healed. We all like sheep gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it goes on to say that, this unnamed suffering servant will be oppressed, afflicted, and was led like a lamb to the slaughter. When you hear words like that, and you go, i have never heard that before. That's in our Hebrew Bible? Yes, it is. And when you hear a verse written by Micah, written centuries before Jesus, it says that a ruler will come forth from Bethlehem. And it says his going forth had been from Bethlehem olden days, from days of eternity. Wait a minute. How could somebody be born in Bethlehem, and yet its origins have been from ancient times, even from days of eternity? And in Isaiah 9-6, another tremendous passage, you know, it's it's sort of, I'm just kidding here, but Jewish parents tend to think that the little uh, Shmuel or Samuel is a genius and will one day be the next human messiah. But they wouldn't give him titles like the Mighty God, Prince of Peace, and the Everlasting Father. And yet, in Isaiah, the ninth chapter, in verse 6, it says, Unto us a child is born, listen to this, Joe, To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, when he was El Gabor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom. Of the greatness of his government of peace, there will be no end, and he will reign on David Strong. It's talking about the Messiah, and yet it's saying he is going to be called the mighty God. Now, who could that be? <laughs> nope.
0: It's incredible. I mean, it's and, beautiful. Continue on, John.
1: Yeah, keep, keep going. And, uh, there, there, there are a couple other uh, prophecies that I didn't know and my Jewish people don't know, because they don't know the prophets. And really, they know the Torah, but it says that uh, in Psalm 22 it says, "My hands, my feet will pierce And in Psalm 16:10, it even predicts the resurrection of the Messiah. It says, "You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay." That means his body would not see decay; it would come out of the grave whole and intact. And then an interesting passage in another prophet. Uh, Zechariah uh, chapter 12, verse 10 it says, When the Messiah has come, when he comes, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. Now, when did it happen? When Jesus was being crucified, there were Jews there, there were the apostles, there were Romans, and they looked upon the one being pierced. But at the second coming, there'll be a great morning as Israel recognizes that our Messiah was the one that we rejected two thousand years ago. That's supposed to be mourning as one mourns for the loss of an older son who
0: dies. You know that, that's John. It is amazing. And, th- and this this last verse that you were talking about. A lot of times, uh, I think, and I'm just I'm going to speak for myself. When I've heard that, I I connected that with uh, the first coming of Jesus. But the 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 context is for a different time uh the late the last days so to speak and um that 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 that's important for someone to grasp it and you and you touched on that that it, it deals with the second coming so the context of um looking to the looking at the one that uh, they had pierced that is not necessarily what happened uh, two thousand years ago it's something that's yet yet to occur so um,
1: it's really both, because right. John's Gospel says that it was fulfilled there, but it wasn't completely fulfilled. Yep. Because they will look again upon the one they pierce. And that's sort of the revelation when you realize, when somebody shares the Gospel, if you're Jewish, if you're listening now, or you're Gentile, when somebody shares a clear message that the Messiah of Israel has come, and that's another uh, uh, objection that Jewish people have, say, well, there's no peace in the world. Well, before he's going to come and bring peace to the world, he's got to bring peace to the human Jewish heart Mm. and the Gentile heart. And there is, in Messiah, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's one way of access to God, only one way, and that's why the Messiah said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one. That means Jewish or Gentile, come to the Father, but through me, through acknowledging that the Messiah came, he died as an atonement for sin, and offers to everyone the gift of eternal life he gave this gift to whosoever you know the famous john three sixteen. we think of that you know we see that at a football games somebody holds up a sign and you go oh that's from the christian bible that was spoken by jesus to a jewish rabbi mm. in the context for god so loved the world that he gave his only unique son so that whoever would believe would not perish, go to hell, but have eternal life. Isn't that? That's a wonderful promise. It's incredible. But it was incredible. spoken first to Jewish audiences. This is a Jewish gospel to the Jew first and also to the Gentile.
0: Yeah, and what's what's really neat about that is that this is not... This is not just a, a good guy that um, the, a loving rabbi, so to speak, um, that had uh, that that died for people's sins. He he is and he was the expected one. He he's the one that was was to come. He's the one that Israel was waiting for. So it's not just a a good rabbi that had died for the people, but it was the rabbi with the big R. And, uh, uh, that's, uh, it's, it's easy to kind of go off and think about a, a, a sacrificial act, but this sacrificial act was an expected one long awaited for. So, uh, that's cool. I'm, I'm glad you, 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 you really, you really did a number there, John. Uh, yeah. and, and you know what, you're only going about 75 miles an hour. I'd like you to kick it up a little bit. So, um, uh, okay. Um, all right, so you you come to faith, and now you're sharing the gospel, and you do it with with just uh, with great passion. God bless you, John. Um, I, I want to go back though, and and think about um, all right. Here you are, new believer. You're Jewish, and um, your family and community just kind of aren't getting it. So here you are. Now you're left out there. So how who who kind of uh, took you under their wing and and kind of discipled you and brought you along. Uh, was it a messianic community? Was it a uh, was it a gentile community? What what? Uh, how did all that um, uh, come about?
1: Well, I decided I need some biblical instruction, and I was talking to another Jewish believer in Denver. He says, "I'm going off to a Bible school." I said, "What's a Bible school?" He says, "Well, actually you go, you you study the Bible and you learn about the Lord and." and uh, and how to communicate him and the gospel to other people. So I said, okay, and it was called Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas. Well, after I was there for nine months, got a good foundation in the scriptures, I came back to Indianapolis. And uh, so my parents really had not seen me in all this time. Um, And so I came home, I began to share with them, uh, but they really didn't want to hear And like my mom said, she eventually went to some Bible studies. Uh, It was called uh, Bible Study Fellowship, because Mm. that Christian neighbor had been praying for our family. And that's probably how it all began. So she went to the Gospel of John, which I learned years later. And uh, my wife Tammy had been talking to this neighbor of mine who said that your mother said, the love of the Christian women is irresistible, but the cost is too great. (laughs) She knew that she would lose her whole network of Jewish friends she's known for 80 years in the Indianapolis Jewish community. I mean, who's she going to play bridge with? Mrs. Smith, Mrs. Jones? Mm. No, it, it was Mrs. Goldberg, Mrs. Cohen, you know, and so on. These are all mm. her Jewish network of friends, and she knew that she would lose them all. And so I'm glad that I got saved as a young person. But eventually I joined a ministry, and uh, which took me to New York, and we ministered to the Jewish people in New York City. We had a fellowship in Queens, New York, uh, basically young people, Jews and Gentile believers. And eventually, I saw my need uh, to really get grounded uh, in seminary studies. So I went to Wheaton Graduate School uh, and got my M.A. in Theological Studies, and and then was involved in Jewish ministry in Chicago. And around this time, my dad said. So you know, build a relationship. And he said, hey, why don't you come back to Indianapolis and work in real estate? And I thought, here's an opportunity to demonstrate to my dad that I'm like my brother. He was a faithful son. I was looked at the prodigal, the one who'd gone off and done his Jesus thing. So now Mm -hmm. I'm coming back, working in the family real estate business. And and I did that for nine years, got to really know my dad uh, uh, better. And I think he came to respect me before he passed away and Unfortunately, a few years later, my brother passed away. He had a failed liver transplant, and I have a younger sister. But I shared the gospel with all of them, and years later, I prayed for so long for my mom because she was most open. She'd go to the Passovers, I did for congregations uh, at different times, and hear me speak. And she was in hospice care and had maybe days to live. I left one night at midnight, and Tammy was there, and Mom she knew that there were no more social networking with her friends, and she went into a coma. And I thought, 32 years, I prayed for my mom. Why didn't she get saved? Why didn't God answer that prayer? And I didn't know at midnight when I left, Tammy was still there, stayed with her all night. She came out of a coma, began to track Tammy, and Tammy began to pour her heart into her and share scripture. She couldn't talk, but she could track Tammy and said, Mom, don't you want to go to heaven? Don't you want to know the Messiah? Have eternal life. And during one of those times of reading Scripture, my mom nodded her head that she wanted Jesus and wanted to go to heaven. Wow. And it's so hard because the majority of secular Jewish people do not believe in life after death. They do not believe in a personal God that you can talk to and know, or that there's a way to know 100% that your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life, and that when you die, you can go immediate into God's presence. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is a day, but there is no atonement for the Jewish soul. You fast, you pray, you're in synagogue all day, but the Bible says it's the blood, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, that was given on the altar because it's the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Our Jewish people have no blood sacrifice within Judaism. But uh, praise God, there was one made, a final one, 2,000 years ago by the Prince of Peace when he died as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if we trust in him, we can receive eternal life, and that Jewish soul, that Jewish person will know that when he dies, he will go immediately into God's presence. But without trusting Jesus, there's no assurance of life after that john Without assurance of
0: forgiveness again i'm going to say to you may god bless you may messiah bless you today and for the rest of your life and, and and for the house of lieberman john it is awesome that you've you've shared boldly the truth of what scripture has to say and uh uh it's just awesome thank thank you i'm 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 blessed just to just to hear this this is, this is just wonderful um, okay, so, all right, so this is, I, I want to go in a direction that will uh, hopefully bless um, our listeners, both Jew and Gentile. The, the, the objections, John, the, the typical objections, uh, and I know that there are many, please speak to our listeners about some of the typical objections and how to uh, address them and, and resist those. Um, please, please comment on that, John.
1: Okay. Well, there's, there's lots of uh, categories of objections. There's historical objections. Uh, the Church's dark past and the persecution of the Jewish people. You have the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, and the Holocaust were not done in the Muslim Middle East. It was in, quote, Christian mm. Europe. Mm. How could something like that have happened? Uh, and there were statements made by various church leaders uh, from the 3rd, 4th, 5th centuries on. Even Luther uh, wrote this tract, The Jews in Their Lives, and said some terrible things about the Jewish people, because he couldn't get them to, quote, convert. And Hitler, years later, were able, was able to use some of these statements by Luther uh, to turn the people, at least to be indifferent towards the Jewish people, if not hostile to them, Uh And there were, like Bonhoeffer and Clinton Boom and other righteous Gentiles, who risked their own lives to save the Jewish people, But as a whole, Christian Europe did not help the Jews. And so there's this dark history, and I would say that they weren't real Christians, anybody who did not love the Jewish people, and risked their lives to protect them, to save them, and to stand up against, like a Hitler, and stand up for their faith in Jesus, they weren't real Christians. But this persecution was done in the name of, of Jesus. And so that became a stumbling block for the Jewish people, 18 centuries of, of anti-Semitism. But I think we can answer some of that by the loving believers who do love the Jewish people. A true Christian will stand with, support Israel. But then there's really some theological objections. Um, Judaism, uh, based on its uh you know, famous prayer that, uh, you know, a religious Jew will pray every day, the Shema, do O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And Jewish, uh, the rabbis will say, well, you Christians, you believe in three gods. We believe in the one God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet, Christians can respond and say, we also believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have the Old Testament. The Hebrew Bible talked to us all the time from our pulpits in our churches. We believe in one God. But God defined himself as one God in contrast to the polytheistic gods of the Old Testament. Yes, one God compared to the moon God, the sun God, and all those other gods. But the nature of God is uh, fully revealed in the New Testament as a triunity. But there are hints of it, some more explicit than others, right in the text of the Hebrew Scriptures. For example in Genesis 1:26, when it talks about creation it says God speaking let us make man in our image God said that and the word for God is Elohim which is in the plural and there are several scriptures where it says using us in the translation who is the "r" in that passage in Genesis 126 um, There are other places where you have this mysterious person, personage, called the Malchadonai, the angel of the Lord. And he appears to Abraham and rescues, in a sense, uh, Isaac at the last second. You know that story that Abraham was about to take the knife to Isaac. And the angel of the Lord appears and says, Don't kill your only son. And then they found a ram in a thicket, and he was saved. But it also says that it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who appeared to him. So the Angel of the Lord is, a, is identified as the um, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And another text in Exodus three verses two and six.
0: John, I, John, I want to, I want to just cut you off real quick. I want to really yeah. emphasize because I've, I've, I just read Genesis twenty-two last week, and. I just want to say Genesis 22. Genesis 22 is uh, yeah. it's the the angel of the Lord in in a sense claiming to be God uh, is is right there and um, the way the, the the context is is that there's something happening there that's is not explained uh, other than uh, we'll say a, a, a plurality in the Godhead is that safe to say, John? Yeah.
1: Now, okay. he didn't appear as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because uh, Jacob was not there. But he mm. appeared as the Lord, so right. I'm going to correct myself there. Uh, but when it comes to, am got mm. ahead of myself. I was thinking Moses. <laughs> when it says in Exodus 3, it does say that the angel of the Lord, in verse 2, it says, uh, "...the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush." And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. quite amazing. And so Moses says, hey, I'm going to go over there and check this strange sight out. And as soon as he gets there, it says, the Lord God called to him from within the bush. Mm. Moses, Moses. Moses says, here am I. Do not come any closer, God said. Mm. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So the angel of the Lord is identified as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, this angel of the Lord appears in other places. There were three angels who came to Abraham. This is your of more And it says two of them left, and it says the Lord was there communicating with Abraham. So I believe that the second person of this triunity jesus existed throughout all eternity and was moving and walking throughout the pages of the old testament appearing so they were encountering who we would later know as jesus when he the second person of this triunity took on human flesh and became a god man and actually took on added humanity to his already divinity we call him a god man but he was a jewish and there's nothing God,
0: man. and there's nothing unusual about that because if God can appear in in a, in a burning bush, God can also appear in in flesh and blood there's nothing unusual about that correct no
1: no God can appear he appeared in the Old Testament took on some type of form in, in, a, in a, an appearance so they could actually see this angel and thinking that he was a man and but at Bethlehem the it may God invaded planet Earth to fulfill the plan that was prophesied in this progressive period of revelation going through the Old Testament. And finally, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those out of the law and bring salvation to them. And we see that as he grew up, and this rabbi, all of a sudden, at age 30, begins to minister. And he makes claims that nobody else would claim. He claimed to be God. And that's the he said before Abraham was, I am, mm-hmm. using that same phrase, I am, that God used when he appeared to Moses. He was the I am. He forgave sins. You can forgive sins, but God alone. He healed people. He raised the dead. He cleansed the lepers. He did so many miracles that validated that he was more than just a normal Jewish rabbi; that he was the Son of God.
0: Uh, you know, while you're talking, I, I just I remembered something I wanted to ask you. You mentioned Isaiah 53, and it's my understanding that some some today say that Isaiah 53 is not referencing the Messiah but describing Israel and. Uh, that's I don't want to say it's relatively new understanding, but wasn't it for centuries that it was it was understood for centuries that that was the Messiah? But something happened a thousand years ago or so when that that interpretation or understanding uh, started to kind of take over. Can you just comment on that?
1: Yeah, um, the ancient ra- rabbis uh, before one of the greatest commentaries, uh, common, uh, I guess you might say scholars who commented on the scriptures his name was rashi and he lived in the late 11th century uh, a.d and uh, he used to get in debates with a lot of the the french catholic and the priests and he was tired of hearing that the messiah uh, was predicted to suffer and die and isaiah 53 by the ancient rabbis before him believed that the suffering servant of isaiah 53 uh, was the messiah Now, obviously, since they didn't believe in Jesus, they didn't think it was Jesus, but they were honest with the text. Mm. They read it and said it's clear that our Messiah, he's a suffering servant, is going to die to no fault of his own, he had no sin, but God would treat him as if he was a sinner when he wasn't. It's sort of a mystery. How could God lay the iniquity of us on him? Uh, He was oppressed and afflicted. And it ends up, it says, that it was the Lord's will to crush him. How could it be the Lord's will to crush the Messiah unless we understand God's plan that he sent his own son Mm. to suffer for us? Well, Rashi said, it's Israel that's suffering. But when you read Isaiah 53, starting actually at 52, verse uh, 13, and then it goes all the way to 53, 12. There were no chapter divisions in the original text. you have to read it all together, but uh, he said, Israel's a suffering servant. Israel's been persecuted by the world, but here, this suffering servant is without sin. Israel was never without sin. They had Mm. fallen into idolatry. Judgment happened. In fact, the First Temple in 586 B.C. was destroyed because of idolatry. What could be a worse sin in Judaism than to be idolatrous? Mm. And then in 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed again. And I believe the Jewish people say, well, because we had hatred, we had harshness in the heart, we didn't have social justice, and so God allowed the temple to be destroyed. But it had to be a greater sin in idolatry. Obviously, we who are believers believe that God was finished with the, the temple. There was no need for the Levitical priesthood or sacrifice anymore because the final sacrifice had been made.
0: Right. But to this
1: day, the standard belief is that Isaiah 53 represents uh, Israel, the suffering servant. So that's why our ministry, Children's People Ministries, uh, the the, uh, director, the president, Dr. Mitch Glazer, wrote the book Isaiah 53 Explained, a 165-page book that's free for any Jewish person or Christian to write in and get it. All they have to go to is Isaiah53.com, and they'll get a free book and it explains the, uh, uh, the, that passage. It explains Jewish history, culture, Jewish purpose, and it's a tremendous book. It's user-friendly in the sense that you read it, and it's saying, let's explore together. If you're Jewish and you have doubts, read this book and let's dialogue, let's talk about it.
0: Uh you know um you you had mentioned the Isaiah 53 book is fantastic. I have it. I have the Isaiah 53 shirt. Uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a great campaign and what I learned uh, evidently is that Isaiah 53 is not part of the regular uh scripture readings in the synagogues for for whatever reason. Uh it's an extremely powerful passage and and, and it has to be read. Can't ignore it. So, um, thanks for mentioning that. It's uh it's really good. Now when you mentioned I mean we're talking about an ancient rabbi who was highly respected and fantastic and contributed great to great things to Jewish culture and Jewish thinking and and fantastic, but here's a situation where um a human being is vulnerable to underst- uh, to to taking what scripture has to say and uh, maybe misinterpreting it either uh, purposely or or not, but um, it's your your words a little while ago about the importance of reading scripture as an individual and doing proper study and proper interpretation. Uh, it is a blessing, and it and scripture can come alive. And many of the things that people do not believe about Jesus actually scripture makes very clear. So. I'm I'm so glad that you're really giving us great scripture and and teaching. I, I John, I could sit here and listen to this all day, every day. It's it's incredible. Okay, debate about a suffering Messiah or a reigning Messiah, and uh, this idea of uh, a son of Joseph and a son of David. They're two different people, but the reality is is that they're both in one. The first coming is basically we have the son of Joseph, the suffering Messiah. And uh, later on we have the same person as the son of David, who is going to reign. Um, just comment on that briefly, because it's my understanding that there's, uh, there's that understanding of two Messiahs, but really there's only one uh, that can, that comes twice. Uh, just comment on that briefly.
1: Yeah. Uh, to try and deal with these texts of a suffering Messiah, which, uh, The rabbis, to be honest with the text, couldn't get away from. Um, They were trying to figure out how the Messiah could rule and reign, and also die. How could he be victorious, and how could he suffer? And so they came up with this concept of two Messiahs, one who at the end of time will come and restore Israel back to its its prominence in the world, and deliver them from the Gentile nations, And yet he would suffer and die. So this other Messiah, Meshiach Yosef, dies, and yet Meshiach Ben David, son of David, he lives. So it was never spelled out in theology too carefully, because Mm. it was all all speculation. They are right about the Messiah, son of David, who would come and rule and reign. And Christians believe that; they just believe he's coming the second time. Mm.
0: Excellent, John. All right, so we've we covered a lot, John, and uh, uh, again, like I said, I could I could do this all day long. I don't want to go, but it's late, and we we started this interview an hour late, and uh, um, you've given an hour of your time and blessed me, and no question about it, uh, listeners should be blessed. Thanks so much. Can you give some some challenging words? to seekers uh, obviously uh, for the jewish people and for gentiles just some just some good challenging words that um that are that are meaningful and not a lot of uh uh, fire and brimstone but just good solid uh good solid scripture can you share that john
1: okay yeah um uh, first of all if we should have a heart for all people we should as believers you should not have prejudice or bias, you should love all people, no matter what their race, their background, their culture, their economic status, and we're going to share this gospel with everybody. Um, but there's a scripture in Romans 1, 16, that says, the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, this good news. Now, why did he say I'm not ashamed? Because it's the power of God for salvation. Which every person needs, uh, to everyone who believes. And it's, then he said, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. So we should have a priority in our world evangelism to share with the Jewish people. And I've seen God being blessing the churches, individuals, as they continue to do whatever the ministry is, but they do not forget that the Jewish people, the greatest act of love you can show towards a Jewish person is to share this good news with them. And the most anti-Semitic thing you could do is to withhold the good news from the Jewish people because it's life. It's a life abundance. It's forgiveness of sins. It's their Jewish Messiah. It's like if you had a cure for cancer. And you said, well, I discovered this, but I'm going to keep this to myself. No, you'd want to tell the world about it because of the benefit. And yeah, it may be difficult sharing with the Jewish people, but Romans eleven eleven says salvation has come unto the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy so they will water for themselves, not just provoke them, which a lot of Gentiles have done, only provoke the <laughs> Jews, but, but not the jealousy where they say, you know, there's something in you, Joe. There's something in you, Bill. There's something in you, Kathy. There's something about you. You seem to have a love and a peace. You have trials and tribulations like everybody else, but it seems like you have a faith. There's something about you that I want. You seem to know the Scriptures, my Jewish Bible, better than I do. What is it about you? And as you pray, God will bring somebody Jewish into your life, and it will be a tremendous experience because they'll sense that you truly do love them. But it will take time to befriend them. Nobody wants to just be won over like a token you know trophy Mm. you truly do love jews and gentiles and share the gospel with them build a relationship have dialogue discussion give them the isaiah 53 book you can go to my website i which is the org, all one word the org, and you can have them uh hear my testimony again but whatever you do pray for the jewish people god loves the jewish people and he sent the Messiah for them. Salvation is of the Jews, mm. by the Jews, and for the Jews. And Gentiles get grafted into this Jewish wonderful olive tree. And in the Messiah, he's broken down the barrier where neither Jew nor Gentile can boast over the other but one in him.
0: Excellent, John. Excellent. That, that, that was perfect. And again, your website that you, uh, you've designed, it's www org correct? No, no the, the Messiah. The Messiah. The Messiah. I'm not The Messiah, but it's just a website <laughs>
1: called
0: org Right, www.themessiah.org. That's perfect. Right. And um, yeah. as, a, as a missionary with Chosen People, uh, and, and the website for Chosen People Ministries is www.chosenpeople.com, correct? That's correct. Yep, and and uh, and
1: would love to hear from you. You can write Joe or uh, send an email to him, or you can email me, and I'd love to correspond with you and uh, let you know more about Chosen People Ministries.
0: Excellent. That's perfect. John, you did an awesome job. This was great. great You want me
1: to pray? You want me to close in prayer?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, and now I'll just uh, close in prayer. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I really thank you for this opportunity to share a little bit about my testimony, talk about our precious Jewish people and Israel and how much you love them and how you sent the Messiah to die for the sins of the Jewish people and the world. Oh, Lord, I pray that anything that I shared about prophecies, about Scripture, I pray that it would penetrate the heart of those who listen. And through your Rukh HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit... You would draw them to want to have more information, to learn about this wonderful Messiah and Savior that suffered for them, that came. And I pray, Lord, that as they seek you, you will do a miracle in their life. You will take the veil off their heart as they repent and turn to you and make teshuva, which is turning to you and to trust in you and say, God, show me the truth about Jesus. If he is my Jewish Messiah, show this to me, and I will receive him and serve him. And I pray this all in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. Awesome. Okay. All right.